Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. <laughs> if I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so excited that you guys are joining us today. You know, many of you probably heard that on October 28th, Matthew Perry, who famously played Chandler Bing on the show Friends, passed away. Uh, if you're not sure who Matthew Perry is, this is him. That was him. It's a later version of Matthew, and uh, I've been reading his book called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, in which Matthew Perry said, nobody wanted to be famous more than me. In one interview, he told Diane Sawyer that when he was a teenager, he prayed for the first time, and, and he prayed and, and said, God, you can do anything you want with me, just please make me famous. In 1994, he accepted the role as Chandler Bing on the show Friends, and there he would become both rich and famous. That show would air for 10 seasons in which he, along with all the other cast members, would make $1 million per episode. Not a million dollars per season, a million dollars a week for 10 seasons. Perry said, I was convinced it was the answer. I was 25. It was the second year of Friends and eight months into it, and I realized the American dream was not making me happy. It wasn't filling in the holes of my life. I couldn't get enough attention. Fame does not do what you think it's going to do. It was a trick. And so if Matthew Perry made it his life goal to be both rich and famous, and got it, looked back on his life and said, it was all a trick. Money, fame, popularity, friends, likes, followers on social media, all of it promises one thing, and it never delivers. And so if Matthew Perry can look back on his life and say the American dream is not going to give you happiness, it's not going to fill in all of those holes, then what will? That's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the context. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. He's already written a couple of letters. We know of one of them for sure. It's 1 Corinthians now he's writing a second letter called 2 Corinthians. And this church is in the process of collecting money. They're about to give a bunch of money to another group of Jesus followers in Jerusalem. And they're struggling with that. They're struggling with, okay, now why are we giving this money? And, okay, if this is our money, why are we giving it to them? And as they wrestle through all of these questions, Paul writes this letter talking about the, that very idea of, hey, what are you doing with that money? And let me help you. Let me reframe that for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm just going to read verse 6. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I mean, that's a pretty simple, straightforward idea, right? If you're a farmer, or you have a garden, or you want a garden, you want to plant something, and you just put a few seeds here, 
few seats here, one or two there, what would you expect to get? Of just a few. One tomato plant here, maybe one there, and one there. Now, if that's all you want, that's fine. That's, that's how you should do it. But if you're a farmer, and you're a serious farmer, and you have the ability, you're going to buy the biggest field with the best soil, and you're going to go all in, right? You're going to plant lots and lots of crops, knowing that if you take care of that soil, you do your part, and the sun comes out, right? You're going to expect, you're going to hope that after you've planted a lot of crops, you're going to get a big harvest back. That's the principle. But if I'm, if I'm stingy with the things that I sow, if I have a scarcity mindset, meaning, you know what, there, there's not a lot here. And if I share just a little bit, well, I might run out. Then that's what I should expect to get back. But if I plant and I'm, and I'm generous, not just with my money, but with my time, my emotions, my friendships. If I'm generous in my life, I should expect to get something back in a generous portion. And then he says, now just because you give doesn't mean you're actually giving with the right motives. So what are the right motives? Look at verse 7. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Why? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Decide in your heart. What kind of giver are you going to be? Now, here's why that's important, because I believe that money is attached to your heart. The things that you think about, your affections, your choices, all of that really is summarizing who you are at the center. It's your heart. And so if I am spending my money in a certain way, that's going to reveal my heart. Money reveals what rules your heart. Money reveals what you are funding. Because that thing or that concept, that's important to you. And so if I'm saving up, for a bunch of brand new clothes, that's telling me how I look, or my clothes, or my wardrobe, that's important to me. Or if I'm saving up to, for all these really big, amazing vacations, and it's not wrong to have clothes, or nice clothes, or go on vacation, but if that's what I'm living for, that's what I'm funding, that's what is really important in my heart, that's what's driving my heart. Matthew Perry said, do whatever you want to me. Just make me rich and famous. That was driving his heart. He was chasing after that. So what is it that we're chasing after? If we looked at how you spent your money, what would it say is important to you? If you looked at how I spent my money, you pulled up my bank account and, said, and looked at all the things that, that we spent money on, you would draw some conclusions as to what is important to the Sullivan family. And the same is true about you. The same is true about everybody. If we could look at all the ways you spend money, thoughtlessly, spontaneously, normally, what's important to you? 
the character of your money is not, not summed up in like the three big money decisions you make. It's summarized by the 10,000 decisions you make every single week about money. Money is reflecting what's important to me in my heart. So what could we consider, what would we conclude is important to you? Because money has the ability to fund what is important to you. What are you treasuring? What are you chasing after? And, and Paul says, decide in your heart. How are you going to use that money? Whether you worked for it, earned it, inherited it, or it was given to you, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? Paul says, think about it. Meditate on it. Why? Because it's connected to your heart. That's why last week and this week, I've been challenging you to do something. We have this vision giving that's coming up, right? And you saw it on the feed. We talked about it last week, just briefly. Bridgewater has this goal of raising $500,000. And all I said last week was just consider it. Think about it and pray about it. That's all we're asking you to do. That's all I'm asking you to do. We're hoping to partner with Hope for Cora. They have an incredible ministry in Ethiopia to some of the poorest families in the world. We're hoping to invest more in the community gatherings, like the community gathering in Hancock. We're hoping to invest in more interns, more ministry leaders, hoping to do some office renovations and invest more in our Tunkhannock building. But right now, I'm simply asking you to consider... In your heart, think about, decide in your heart, will you give to that? Pray about it. And then he gives some qualifiers, right? Don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it based on pressure. Do it cheerfully. So this idea of reluctantly, it's an inside pressure, right? You, you kind of tugged on my emotions, Tim. You, you gave me a big guilt trip. Fine. How much? Okay. Leave me alone, right? That's reluctant. I feel bad, feel sorry, you pulled on some heartstrings. That's not what I want to do. I don't want you to give to God because you felt bad. But there's an outside pressure, right? Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, I heard if, I'm, if I give, then I'm more godly. I want to I go back to the blue box when Pastor Tim's standing there and just put something in there. That'll look good, right? There's outside pressure. I don't want you to give because you feel pressured inside or outside. I want you to be somebody who gives cheerfully. And so what, is it, what does it look like? What does it say about me? What am I treasuring if I'm giving reluctantly or in response to pressure? What am I funding? What am I treasuring? What am I valuing? But I get it. There's a little bit of fear attached to giving, isn't there? I mean, what happens if there's an emergency this week? You didn't plan for it. It just kind of happened. What are you going to do then? Well, Christmas is coming. Keith made that very obvious. Yeah. It's like six weeks away, and Thanksgiving is here. How am I going to pull off Thanksgiving, Christmas, pay my bills, and give? Those are real fears and challenges, right? Well, but it's my money, Tim. Like, like, I earned it. I worked hard for it. I mean, it's in my bank account. Don't I get to say how I use it? Or maybe you're 
concerned or worried that if you give it to somebody else, you give it to the church, you give it to another organization, they won't actually use it wisely. So why would I give it to them if I'm afraid they won't use it wisely? Or maybe you just don't want to give it. Or your whole view is, you know what, I earned it, I'll spend it. Paul speaks to those fears. Look at verse 8. He says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left, plenty left over to share with others. All of those fears are real. I have similar fears. I'm hoping to make sure that if anything goes wrong, we have something, right? We have some sort of emergency fund. Now, how big of an emergency can it handle? I have no idea. Saving up for things so that we could not go in debt. Love to be able to do this and that and the other. Would love to do all these things, right? But these two words right here, God will, speaks to those fears, he can take care of all of those problems, all of those issues. God will. God is able. He is bigger than your imagination can even fathom. God will generously. He's the one who provides all you need, which means all the money you have, all the resources you have, all the stuff you have came from him. He provided it. He gave it to you. And he simply said, I want you to be a manager. I want you to be a steward of these resources. I want you to steward this money. God has generously given it to you, generously given it to me, and he will provide everything that you need. That doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. He's certainly not done that for me. And then... He's going to take care of you. That's the God of the entire universe. He owns a cattle on a thousand hill. He spoke everything into existence. And I know the problems that you face, they're pretty big. In fact, they can seem overwhelming and daunting at times. And I'm not minimizing that at all. I'm telling you, God is so much bigger than all of that. The answer to my fear is God will. God is able. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're giving, he's given to you and you turn around and give it back, you can't lose because you can't outgive God. You can't. Not a chance. But then the giver will always have plenty. Now this is not the health and wealth gospel, okay? Please hear me. I'm not saying if you put 10 bucks in the blue box or push it on the app that this week you're going to get 100 bucks back. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying if you give $1,000 to our vision campaign that this year you're going to get a $10,000 raise, which would be awesome. It's not what I'm promising, okay? What I'm saying is that God, God will generously provide for all you need. He's going to take care of you. He's taking care of you. You're here. You're all clothed, which is a good thing. 
But here's our mindset. Because of what God does, we should give generously. We should give generously. And if Matthew Perry is right and the American dream doesn't really satisfy you and the American dream doesn't really make you happy and the American dream doesn't really fill all of those holes, then what will? It's putting God first. It's making him the number one priority, recognizing he is the one who's given me everything. And because he is the provider, I should be generous, not just with my time, but with my energy, money, time, resources, everything. We should be a people who are generous. This is what we do. We are generous people. And, and there's a difference between giving and generosity. Giving is an action, but generosity is an orientation of my life. Lots of people give, but they're not generous. So let me ask you, does generosity summarize you? Are you a generous person with your time and resources and talents, abilities, with your money? Or are you stingy? That's a question we have to answer. It's a question we have to wrestle with. But, but notice what God does when we give it away. Verse 9. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He's the one who gives you the seed. He's the one who puts the seed in your hands and he says, go be generous. Plant, sow, put it all into the ground, invest it. Because he's the one that gave it to you. And when you do that, he's going to turn around. He's going to raise up more crops, a bigger harvest. He's going to provide for you. And listen, I'm not promising it's going to come in the form of money. It could be that this winter, you don't even get sick. And in your generosity, God blesses you and you don't have to go to extra doctor visits. You don't have any extra prescriptions, okay? That's not a promise either. I'm just giving examples, okay? It could be that this year, the things that went wrong on your car don't happen this year and your brakes seem to last extremely, incredibly, miraculously longer than they should, okay? Your, your tires just seem to last longer than they normally do, okay? Somehow, God begins to bless you in other ways. It could be in the relationships that you have. It could be financially. It could be that, that your grocery bill somehow seems to get less. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just throwing out examples here. But God is the one who's the giver. And he is generous. And he has an abundance of grace overflowing. He's the provider. He's the one that can increase and enlarge your harvest. And you and I, we reap what we sow. So you and I, we're called to sow 
and then re-sow, and then continue to re-sow. But take a look at this, verse 11. He says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they are going to thank God. Like They're going to respond in prayer. They're going to respond by thanking God. that Your generosity will be turned into a blessing to somebody else. I don't know if you're picking up on this theme of generosity, but Paul keeps repeating the same word over and over and over again. It's not because he has a lack of vocabulary. He's making a point. Generosity. And then he's saying, you know what? This is who we are. When you begin to give, when you begin to take his money, his resources, and bless other people, he's going to multiply it. That's the point. God multiplies abundantly. But you know what? We fall into the same trap over and over again. It's this scarcity cycle. First, we consume. Right? We take the money, we take the resources, and we use it on ourselves. Then we end up lacking. Right? We, we see the gaps in our life. We lack, we want more, and we fear. We're afraid. We don't know what's going to happen next, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen next month. And after that, we consume some more, and then that leads us into debt. And this scarcity cycle, this mindset of, I don't have enough, what if I run out, I can't share this, I can't be generous, there's no way, I need more, I'm afraid, I consume more, I spend more, and I end up in debt. Paul is prescribing something completely different. It's the supply cycle. It's we give. God takes that and he multiplies it. I don't know how. No health and wealth gospel here. But then our faith begins to grow. And there's this harvest of generosity. Because he's the one that supplies. He's the provider. He's given it to you. And he says, okay, I'm asking you to be generous with everything I've given to you. Somehow he's going to multiply it. I don't know what that looks like, how, how he's going to do it, but I have to trust that he is able. I have to trust that he will provide. I have to trust that he's the one who takes care of everything and he'll continue to take care of all my needs. My faith is going to grow as I see God multiplying. As I watch God work, I'm going to see a harvest of generosity. I'm going to be able to bless other people. But here's a question. Tim, I heard something about like this tithe thing. What's, what's the tithe? If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard of the tithe. If, if you've not, that might be a new concept. Let me explain the tithe. It's, it's, a, it's a weird word, right? You, don't, you probably won't even use it this week, all right? Your boss won't call you into the office and say, hey, let's talk about the tithing principle, right? It's kind of a weird word. So where did that come from? Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Should people cheat God? <laughs> Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse 
for your whole nation has been cheating me. Right? God's calling out Israel and saying, you are cheating me. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Stop right there. A tithe is a tenth. God is asking Israel, give me a tenth. Give me a tithe of everything you bring in from your crops, your harvest, your income, whatever it is. Just take a tenth. Push that aside and bring that to God and live off of 90%. And God says, put me to the test. Try me. God can do more with 90% than you and I can do with 100%. Then verse 11, he says, Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God says, I'm going to bless you. It's going to come in all sorts of forms that you didn't expect, right? Your crops are not going to be eaten up by bugs. They're not going to be diseased. They're not going to fall off the vine too early. Somehow your crops are going to last longer and go further. God's going to bless you. And it's this principle that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament. But we don't see it repeated in the New Testament. But I think that the tithe, the 10%, the giving of 10% of your income is really a starting point for giving. In the New Testament, God doesn't say, give me 10%. He says, be generous. Now, if I'm just being completely honest and transparent, it's hard to give 10% because I look at my income, I look at all the things that I need to do, I look at all the things that I want to do, I look at providing for my family and being a resource, and I go, I, I don't know if I can give away any of that. But God would say, well, I'm the one that gave it to you, Tim. Trust me. Decide in your heart. Because my heart is attached to things that I treasure, the things that I value, the things that I, that I love. And so tithing really is just a 10% of your resources and here's what the tithe does. The tithe teaches us to put God first. It's a starting point. The tithe builds our faith. God, I don't know if I can live off of 90%. I think I need 100%. God says, trust me. Lastly, it provides for the work of God's church. Your money doesn't go to me. You're giving to God. God is using those monies, those resources to reach more people for Christ. When you give, you give to things like one night when teenagers hear the gospel and they put their faith in Christ. When you give, you're giving to things like our Halloween outreach where we give out candy to over 600 kids in that neighborhood right behind this church. And we invite those kids to come here to hear about Jesus. It's the candy. It's the hot chocolate. Maybe 
just for a safe place for them to come with their families, trick or treat, and get a ton of candy and some warm hot chocolate. When you give, you're giving to the mission that's taking place over in Hancock where people are, are renting out a movie theater to go and be a light in a community where there really is no gospel church. Those are the things you and I are giving towards. You might say, for me to do that, I'd have to rearrange my whole life. Yep, me too. I'd have to give something up. Yep, I do too. That's going to stretch my faith, Tim. I know. It stretches mine. Matthew Perry, interesting guy. Incredible drug addiction. So bad, he lost his top row of teeth because of that. In fact, the book talks about one time he ends up in the hospital where he had a 2% chance of living. They hook him up to this machine called the ECMO, and somehow there were five people hooked up to similar machines that night. Four of them died. He lived. Can't explain that. Hitting rock bottom was what led Matthew Perry to finally turn to God, but this time in humility. Now, I can't speak to his relationship to God, but this is what he wrote in his book. Eventually, he did turn to God, and he prayed, God, please help me, I whispered. Show me that you are here. God, please help me. A very different prayer than God. Do anything, do everything you need to, whatever you want to, just make me rich and famous. I don't know if he put God first, but that's what God is calling us to do, to put him first. So what does it look like? Here's some next steps. Start by giving something. I don't have a prescription for that. Then... The next step, if you're already giving something, give on a regular basis. Weekly, monthly, quarterly. Then find out what is the right proportion. Maybe it's 5%. Maybe it's 10%. Give proportionately. Then the last step is, like you're, you're growing in your faith here, okay? Give sacrificially. Give generously. But the big challenge here is put God first. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, my challenge to you today is that you would put God first. Let me pray with you. God, you're amazing. You continually continue to provide for us. You continue to supply more than we need. God, you've called us to do something really scary and it has to do with generosity. Some of us are incredible at being generous. Others, we struggle quite a bit. We're nervous. We're afraid to be generous. We're concerned about what, what might happen if an emergency happens. We're concerned about our family. We're concerned about all of the things that we are foreshadowing to take place. But God, in your grace, in your mercy, you continue to give us out of your grace. You continue to provide an abundance for each of us. You call us to put you first. So I ask that you'd help us this week to be bold and courageous and follow you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
you guys stand in response this morning?